Morning. It's good to see you all. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. And we're looking at this, what we call and is known to us as the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. How should we pray? Jesus taught his disciples how to pray using this model prayer. Uh, and I, I think it's important for us to, to, to look at it. When we look at it, we see our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We looked at that last week, considering uh, how God is set apart and his name is set apart. We looked at this and we see that he is our Father. And we notice that the prayer begins with him. It doesn't begin with us. And I believe that's how we should approach prayer. That we are praying to our Father, and not only to Him, but about Him. We are recognizing who He is, and we are desiring to know Him more. We're recognizing that He is great and marvelous, and full of grace, and He's invited us in to His presence. We need to always remember that this prayer is... In the middle of the context of what kingdom citizens are like and how kingdom citizens live. That we are children of God and we're citizens of heaven. And that citizenship is eternal. And so very much we need to understand that this prayer that Jesus is giving us is the prayer of those who are citizens. It's a model for citizens of how we are to relate to the living God. Jesus' prayer begins with a focus on the Father, and most of our praying begins with a focus on ourselves, our needs, our anxieties, our frustrations. I don't know about you, but at times when I pray, I pray out all these things, and I'm pouring out all these things, and I'm telling God all these things, all these frustrations, all these anxieties, all these fears. And by the time I get to the end of it, I haven't mentioned a word about the Father, except that you can take care of this. I haven't adored Him in any way, although He is worthy of all praise and all glory and all adoration of His children. That's typically how we pray. We can see in that type of praying, where the center of our praying is ourselves, we can see the contrast and the conflict that exists in prayer and in the priorities of our praying. James points out that we do not have what we ask for because we ask amiss, or we ask with wrong motivations that do not coincide with the will of God. Today we're looking at this verse 10. This is one verse where it says, speaking of your saying, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just these few lines we want to look at today and consider what is the kingdom of God. We want to think about what is the 
will of God? And how are these things accomplished on earth as they are in heaven? When you start asking those questions, you realize that the answers are far greater than we can really write down or speak in just a few minutes. But we're going to make that attempt. I want us to think about these things considering the scope of God's kingdom. I want us to think today about the scope of God's kingdom and how considering God's kingdom and the scope, the breadth, the width comes to bear in our prayer life. How do we pray when we look at the scope of God's kingdom. Next, I want us to look and think about the will of God as it's mentioned here in this text. You think, okay, you're going to preach about the will of God and you're going to preach about the scope, the breadth of the kingdom. How long are we going to be here? But I want to break it down and bring it into the context that it exists in. And that is, how should we as Christians pray with these things in mind? And then at the end, I just want to consider three ways that this comes to bear in our life. How do we apply it? How do we live it? How do we pray it? So first of all, let's think about the scope of God's kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God can be understood as the reign and rule of God. When we think about it that way, we need, we need to understand and comprehend that God has created everything. Everything that is belongs to God. He reigns over it. In other words, He is sovereign. Uh, he rules over it. In the sense that God has created all things, He sustains all things. God is able, and it is up to Him to determine what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. He determines those things, not us. He has made known what those things are to us through the Word and through His Spirit. God is the one who dictates to us and tells us, how is it that I will be worshipped, He says. You don't determine how to worship me. I determine how you will worship me and how you will know me and how you will love me and how you will live for me. Because God reigns and rules, not us. When we think about it in those terms, we need to understand he has the right for that. He is the king, the ruler of all things. Interestingly enough, however, we can bring that down into a very personal place and simply ask this question. Does God reign and rule you? 
Interestingly enough, God upholds the universe by the power of his might. Yet you and I can reject his reign and rule in our life. How gracious and loving and wonderful is God. That he would allow that to take place. God reigns over all things. Yet he desires that you will and desire his reign in your life. His rule in your life. He wants that. And he wants you to want that. As we think about the kingdom of God, we need to understand that all of Scripture points us and helps us to understand that the kingdom of God has come and the kingdom of God is coming. It's here and it's still yet to come. It's a beautiful thought, really. Jesus came here and he spoke of his kingdom coming. He spoke of the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. It says here, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That on earth as it is in heaven, by the way, applies to both other phrases. In other words, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The last phrase applies to both of the two. The kingdom can re refer to the age to come. Revelation uh, chapter 11, verse 15. Turn with me there, if you will. Helps us to see this as an age to come. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. It says, uh, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. You hear that? The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. We see here the age to come. We actually see the two together. The kingdom that is present and the kingdom that is to come happening together, coming together. The people of God with the Christ forever and ever. In Matthew chapter 25, we see Jesus uh, handing out a, uh, a, a parable, if you will, a story, a narrative about the king coming. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, we see that uh, he gives this picture of the final judgment when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. 
Then he would sit on his glorious throne. And it says in verse 32, Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And here, what is he going to do? He's going to begin, he separates them, and then he brings judgment. Verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. For from the foundation of the world, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. He said, when did we do that? When you did it to the least of these, my brothers. He says to those on his left, He says, you didn't do these things. And what does he do? He casts them aside. These will go away, verse 46, into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus points out and says, my kingdom is not of this world. (laughs) He says, it's outside of this world. But we know one day, his kingdom will come into this world. And it's already here. We need to understand that this theme runs throughout Scripture. This theme of of God's presence with his people. The rebellion of his people. The casting out of his people. The casting out ultimately of all those who do not believe. When you look at Eden, the Garden of Eden, you see Adam and Eve there and you see God in their presence. Until sin comes into the world, until they sin. And then what happens? They are cast out. The kingdom of God is very much the presence of God with people. So they were cast out of Eden. Go later on, in, uh, move, move through history, and you come to the people of Israel. And they are led to the promised land. And there in the promised land, they are with God. They are in God's place. In the wilderness, there is a tabernacle where God dwells among his people and then once they go into the promised land they build a temple there and there God dwells with his people in the temple but what do the people do they rebel against God they began to worship idols they sin they do things that are repulsive to God and what does God do he casts them out of the land And they go into exile in Babylon. Eventually they come back in. They rebuild the temple. It's not really their land anymore. It belongs to Rome now. And there they rebuild the temple. And bring in one from the line of David. And his name's Jesus. He is the savior of the world. And he comes and he dies 
and he is buried, and he rises, and he ascends. And we usher in the church. And we see with Jesus coming that the kingdom of God has come. In a very real sense that he came and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the apostle says. The glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. Yet he ascended and sent his spirit to dwell in those who are his. And those who are his combined together are the church. Now something that the church will not and cannot do is the church cannot cast out in the sense that we're going to chunk people into the lake of fire. But one thing that the church does do that goes right along with this theme is that those who say, I am of Christ and do not walk with Christ, they are excommunicated and put outside of fellowship with the church until the time that they come and repent. So we see this theme walking all the way through Scripture that the kingdom of God is outside or coming and that it is already present. That the kingdom is coming makes us expectant. Aren't you expectant of his coming? Don't you look forward to his coming? We should as his children. But not only is his kingdom to come, we also know that the kingdom can refer to the present day. He says in there, your kingdom come, your will be done. You could say, let your kingdom come now. <laughs> it's one way that we see that. But also we understand that his kingdom is present Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus says this, they accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebub, but he says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, and indeed it had. All the miracles and the signs and wonders that Jesus performed they were revealing and making known that the kingdom of God had indeed come in Jesus Christ. He was present. God's presence was among them. Luke chapter 17. We see in this text in Luke chapter 17 verse 21. He says, he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's right here. Basically, Jesus was saying, kingdom of God, right here. He's in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, now, preachers can't do that, but Jesus could. The kingdom of God is present. 
with us and in us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, we see uh, again that the kingdom of God is present. Colossians. Chapter 1. He says here that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Isn't that great? Did y'all read that right? That he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son. When? Now. He has done it. And the result is. Is that we are in the kingdom of God. In the sense that we are in. Jesus Christ. We are in. His presence. So. This present kingdom. Wasn't established by Jesus. In an earthly throne. That's what everybody wanted. Y'all remember that, right? I mean, they wanted to take hold of him and say, you be our king. And every time they wanted to do that, what did he do? He got away from them. He slipped through the crowd. He moved off the edge of the cliff. He didn't go certain places because he knew in those places what they wanted to do. They wanted to make him King, They wanted to enthrone him. But he didn't come to establish a kingdom in that way. He came to establish a kingdom. Through his blood. Through his sacrifice. He brought the kingdom to bear in our lives. He didn't do it by establishing an earthly throne. Through political reform. We will not elect God's kingdom to office. Y'all go ahead and let that sink in. All right? You will not elect God's kingdom to office. It's not going to happen. No more than Jesus established his kingdom through political means. You're not going to elect this kingdom to office. The present kingdom is seen in the message of the kingdom being preached and lived out by its citizens. The present kingdom is seen in the gospel being lived by those who have been changed by it. Let your kingdom come now. In the sense, Jesus breaking open the sky. Let your kingdom come now in that sense. But folks, it also means let your kingdom come now in the sense that I am a faithful steward of the gospel. Not only living the gospel, but faithfully proclaiming the gospel. Because every time a soul is saved... 
by Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know the kingdom of God comes into the life of an individual. It's there. It's here. In us, in that he lives in us. The kingdom of God is present and coming. We anticipate his coming. We look forward to his coming. But we also live out the kingdom that he has placed in us. And being faithful to the gospel message. The scope of God's kingdom is that it's both coming and present. Secondly, I want us to consider the will of God because Jesus prays, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to say something right now. And I want you to listen, perhaps write it down, think on it. I want you to know it's going to be one of those thoughts that is going to fester. Kind of like when you get a splinter that you can't get out. And over time it starts turning red and you end up squeezing it and it pops out of there, you know. It's going to fester a little bit. I know that's kind of a gross illustration, right? God's will is always done, but not all do God's will. Think about that. God's will is always done, but not all do God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? And in the context of praying, when we ask for God's will to be done, isn't God's will always done? Why do we even pray? Why bother? Isn't God's will always accomplished? Isn't it always done? Why do we need to ask for His will to be done? Well, in a very brief way, let me just give you a distinction in reference to God's will. Let me call one God's will of decree. And then let me call one God's will of desire. God's will of decree. God's will of desire. God's will of decree is God's sovereign authority over everything. God's will is being played out in everything. You may ask, was that God's will? Well, it happened. Right? Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God's purpose will stand. 
In Isaiah chapter 46, which I almost read for my pastoral prayer this morning, but I changed it at the last moment. It says, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. The will of God, the decree of God, the will of decree of God cannot be thwarted. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be prevented. Satan has been trying. He has found it doesn't work. God's purposes and plan from the beginning, nay, before the beginning, will be accomplished in the end completely and totally just as God determined it would be before the foundation of the world. It will be done. This is the decree, the will of decree of God. You're not going to change it. I'm not going to change it. Your praying is not going to change it. God, don't let it turn out like that. It's going to turn out like that. Why? I decreed it from before the foundation of the world. From the beginning, I said this is what will be the end. That is the will of the degree of God. So when I look at this in Matthew chapter 6, and it says, let me pray this. Your will be done, God. Well, of course my will is going to be done. We need to understand, though, that that's not how Jesus is telling us to pray. The decree of God will be accomplished. But let us consider God's will of desire. What does He desire of His children? He desire of you. Doesn't He desire our obedience? Doesn't He desire that we follow after Him? Your kingdom come, your will be done. We find this truth just on the next page, verse 21 of chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. There we are, kingdom of heaven right there. Not everyone are kingdom citizens. He's saying but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They're workers of lawlessness. They didn't do the will of God. Certainly none of us are saved 
by doing good things. But those who are saved do the will of God. That's the point of verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says, I'm a Christian, will enter the kingdom of God. Y'all getting that, right? Y'all seeing that truth in this text? But he who does the will of my Father. We don't do the will of the Father to get into the kingdom. We do the will of the Father because we are in the kingdom. God's will of desire is seen in His commands to us. He tells us how He wants us to live because His command reflects His character, His glory, His desire. And so here, He's saying, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let my desire match your desire. That's what's going on here. I want my desire to be like yours. I want my will to be like your will. I want you to change me in such a way That my desires are reflecting your desires. People, religious people in this text in 721. Are told to depart. Because they didn't do the desire of God. They did not obey. I did read this text this morning from 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, he writes out, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do we always do the will of God? Even as children of God? I know you think it's a quick trick question, but it's really not. No, we don't always do it. We fall in many ways, don't we? Even as believers. Even as Christians. But when we fall, we don't just dig a hole and bury ourselves, do we? No, we cry out like Peter sinking in the sea. Save me, O God. 
And here we find the desire of God working in us to redeem and to rescue and to transform and to change. We're asking God, do your work in me. Change me, make me new. Oh, I've fallen. What do I do? And there's Jesus. Come here, let me show you. No, no, don't look back that way. Let's walk this way. This is the will of God. Paul even says it matter-of-factly and very straightforward in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God for you. Everybody's ears perk up when I said that because that's what Paul says. This is the will of God for you. Anybody going, yes, what? What is it? Your sanctification, that you would be changed, that you would be made new, that you would become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. This is the prayer that Jesus is telling us and modeling for us. Father, only you can do this in me. Only your name is set apart. And you have given us your name, Father. Oh, Father, work your reign and rule in me. Have me. Dominate me. Have dominion in my life, oh God. That's, that's what we're praying Lord, I know that I will be with Jesus one day and I will be perfected there. But God, work that perfection in me now. Change me and make me new. Transform me. Oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, reign in me. Your will be done. Lord, let my desire be your desire. Let me desire what your will is, not my own. This is a prayer for transformation. This is a prayer that God would be exalted in his kingdom. Not just in the days to come when all the angels are going to start singing. That's going to be a neat day, isn't it? We're going to hear voices like we've never heard before. When Jesus comes and the angels start singing, and they're singing this song, the kingdom of the world has become, and they're the kingdom of God. What a great day that's going to be. But here we're saying, oh God, what that's going to be like, make it in my heart now. I want to be like you. I want to be like your son, Jesus. Change me and transform me. Now let me wrap this up. This prayer is evangelistic 
and missions oriented. Because I want you to know the kingdom of God comes every time a citizen is born into it. We're praying and we're asking God, Lord, use me as an evangelist, as a missionary. Let the gospel be on my lips constantly. Let me be faithful to make known the word of life. It's evangelistic and missions oriented. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Secondly, it's a call to obedience. It's a call to obedience. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. It's us laying ourselves down and saying, Lord, I want to obey you. I got a whole world that's trying to lead me away from you. But I want to obey you. That's how we live out this prayer. And we pray this prayer asking, Lord, help me live this out. The whole world around me is against me and against you. But I'm going to follow you. I want to walk in obedience to you. I don't want to be cast out of your presence. I want to live in your presence. The other way is that we live expectantly. Expectantly. I know I've already given you these three as we've gone through, but I wanted to remind you. This prayer, this prayer is evangelistic. This prayer is a call to obedience and a desire for obedience in our own hearts toward Him. And it's a prayer of expectancy. Lord, come now. We have to get our minds right on that, don't we? I've talked to some people, well, I want them to come, but I don't want them to come right now. You know, I still want to go see the Grand Canyon, and I still want to do these things. Love to have grandchildren. Got that one marked off. Man, don't think like that. This world is not our home, and there is nothing that this world has that compares to the glory of Christ. Absolutely nothing. Talking about rejoicing if Jesus were to come today, even now. But this prayer has an expectancy. And do y'all know how expectancy is lived out? It's not getting a nice recliner and putting it outside and pointing it toward the east and waiting for Jesus to come. Okay? I got me a good seat. Nobody knows when that's going to happen. That's not expectancy. I know he's coming. I know he's coming. No, expectancy is the other two that were just mentioned. Living out in obedience and evangelistically. 
What type of people ought we to be? We should be people that pursue the will of God and do and live out the will of God in evangelism and disciple-making and all these things. And so when we pray this prayer, we're not just reciting some great words. We're calling on God to do in our own personal hearts and in our church and in our world what only God can do and what mirrors the heavens. We're asking God to bring it all to completion now. But we're going to live like it's complete today. Lord, give us in our own hearts and minds the rain the rule, you reign, you rule, and your desire. And in that we will find joy. Why? Because in your presence is joy, gladness evermore. The kingdom of God is here. Let's live in the joy and gladness of the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your word, how you express to us your love. And we wouldn't know that love except through the expression of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so, Lord, we thank you for giving us Jesus. We thank you, Lord. For salvation that is only through him. The substitute for our sin. The bearer of our wrath. The risen Lord and Savior of all things. So Lord I pray that you Lord would help us as your children. To live under the authority, the reign, the rule of your sovereign love and grace. And Father, that we would seek for our desires, which by nature are of this world. But Lord, transform them and change them into the holy desires of you. Make us more like you. Make us more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.